Anybody who knows myself and B-Magic knows that we are big-time wrestling fans. We have been pretty much since the 80s, so it was really exciting for us to sit down with Wei Ting from Post Wrestling. Post Wrestling is a news outlet and a network of podcasts that covers combat sports like mixed martial arts and professional wrestling. I've been a big fan of Wei's for many, many years, following his work both on radio and on television, so it was cool to meet him face-to-face and learn about his come-up, how he was able to turn a love for television and a curiosity behind television and media production into a career path for himself. Along the way, we learn about his family's migration story and how they were forced to leave China due to political tensions at the time, and how they resettled here in Scarborough. We learn about Wei's experience adapting to a new culture and a new environment, and later we also learn about what that experience and what that process was like leaving behind a job in order to start his own business by himself along with his partner, John Pollock. And of course, we couldn't have Wei on this episode without also talking about professional wrestling, so there is a lot of wrestling talk on this episode, as well as a deep dive and analysis into the hilarious and unfortunate intersection between professional wrestling and hip-hop. Uh, sit back and enjoy. This is Season 2, Episode 2 of the Immigrant Hustle Podcast. Okay, this is the Immigrant Hustle Podcast. I am your host, B-Magic. I got my brother, Noise, with me. And today, we got a very special guest from... Post wrestling, you've heard his voice, you've seen his name. We've got Mr. Wei Ting with us joining us today. Wei, I'd like to thank you first off for coming all the way out to Brampton to join us today. Yeah, well, yeah. always a great excuse to head to Brampton. <laughs> <laughs> first person to ever say that. Other than uh, Square <laughs> One, it. yeah, no, that's Mississauga actually. Oh, okay. Sorry, yeah. what am I thinking about? What's what's up here? There's uh, not much out here, to <laughs> be honest. Nothing at all. <laughs> The airport. <laughs> that that's yeah. actually Mississauga. Texas. Oh, like Mal- Rexdale, Malton, around someday, there. someday you'll get something. <laughs> we'll yeah, get yeah. something. <laughs> yeah. No, but we appreciate you uh, coming through to talk yeah. with us. Uh, we are really excited to talk wrestling and hip hop with you. So I'm sure we're gonna get all uh, up into that. But noise, like always, what do you want to start this podcast off with? You know, where does the waiting story begin? Where is your family originally from, and kind of where does that? migration or that transition come to the arrival here in Canada. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, okay, cool. First of all, like, should I address you by your your rap names or should I call you guys <laughs> by your real names? Uh, whatever, whatever you prefer, like. whatever okay. you're comfortable with. Got it, okay. Um, a- anyway, I feel like I should have, like, a rap name. Myself, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we'll figure one out by the end okay, of this all part. Okay, right, yes. all right. Uh, but, yeah, no, uh, my parents um, met in Hong Kong. My dad is originally from Shanghai. My mom is from Hong Kong, and uh, I guess, like, you know, my immigration story kind of starts from, like, my dad's, because he and his family uh, grew up in in Shanghai, and at a time where, um, I guess, conditions weren't so favorable, so he actually, one by one, members of his family um, traveled by themselves individually from Shanghai to Hong Kong, where... I guess politically things are a bit more stable. Yeah. Um, so my dad, like when he was probably like 12 years old, got on a, a, a train by himself. Each individual member of the family had to basically go go by himself. My dad's family consists of, God, I want to say six children. And my dad is the third oldest. And okay. he happened to just kind of um, make the cutoff of who would be allowed and would not be allowed to leave China to go yeah. to Hong Kong. And so therefore, at that point in time, um, they all became separated from their two oldest siblings. So my dad wow. just made the cut and made it out of um, communist China into Hong Kong. Uh, and from there, I guess, you know, he, he grew up, uh, met my mom, and then uh, they had two uh, kids, um, my two older brothers who are about 12 years older than me and then uh yeah 12 years later after having them surprise surprise here (laughs) i am and uh you know uh, i was born in 1984 i grew up in hong kong for the first five years of my life okay and i mean i recall bits and pieces of it but to be honest like you know i i feel like my life didn't really begin until we moved here and i guess the reason why we moved here Partly, you know, again, is to because I, I don't know how much you guys know about Hong Kong, but you know, um, it was under British rule uh, for pretty much uh, 150 years, yeah. I believe. And then uh, in 1997, seven years 
after we immigrated, uh, it was set to return to Chinese rule. And I believe that might have been a big, like this was after Tiananmen Square and everything. Yeah. So I think there were a lot of concerns. And that was kind of probably one of the big reasons why my parents wanted to move here. Plus, my, my other relatives had, had jumped from Hong Kong to uh, Toronto at the time as well. So um, that plus, I believe, like for, for my, my two brothers, my, my, my parents felt like it was a bit easier to get into university and, and secondary education in Canada as compared to Hong Kong, where everybody's trying to get into the, the one oh, yeah. school that, that's there. So I believe that was that had something to do with it as well. But for me, like, you know, because my brothers spent a good time of like their adolescence and, and their childhood in Hong Kong, I was just kind of beginning mine in, in Canada. There is a bit of a difference between us, uh, despite being, you know, from the same family. Yeah. But, no, yeah. I, I can kind of relate with that because uh, my oldest brother is 11 years older. Right. And my middle brother is six years older. Okay. And I originally came from Norway. Really? To, to Canada. So I transitioned at the age of 10. So obviously I still have memories uh, of Norway, but still easier than my brother who was like 16 at the time in the middle of high school. Mm -hmm. And then there was my older brother who was like in university years, postgraduate and all that stuff. But literally for me, it was just like, okay, we're going somewhere new. Cool. In the sense of you don't really get what's going on. No. Right. Whereas somebody older you your whole life fucking changes right did you realize that you were uh like moving permanently at the time and did you know what I that meant i did but i didn't know what it meant i didn't mm -hmm. understand that yo you're gonna you're not coming back here mm -hmm. you know like that was kind of always in the back of my mind like oh if i don't like it i could go back and then slowly yeah. you realize like no we're gonna make this work now you know it's yeah like, Thinking back, like, I, I don't think I, I really understood either. Yeah. You know, I, I hadn't been out of the country, like, well, yeah, when I was five. five. is when, like, you first, like, yeah. I can remember, but then I don't really know what I was feeling. At yeah, the time. so, like, my parents and my brothers were all telling me, like, oh, we're moving, we're moving. And I'm like, okay, like, what, what's the big deal about it? It wasn't until, like, I actually landed. I remember that first day, actually, quite clearly, because we moved into our house, uh, which, my, which belonged to my uncle first, who lived Where here. Where did you first settle? Uh, same place that my parents are still at right now, okay. uh, Scarborough. Okay. Yeah, same house. So my my uncle had owned the house before, and so he basically kind of you know ha uh, we moved into that that house. And I think the the first thing that really like told me, wow, this is like a different place, was that like, um, I don't know if you've had coke in like other countries yeah. where like the the pull tabs yeah, yeah. are like you know like, the actual pull off tabs oh, okay, that are like yeah. super razor yeah. sharp yeah, that yeah, you pull yeah. off. But in Canada, it was like the the tabs that stick on. Yeah. So the, 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 the cans were remarkably different. And to me, like, Coca-Cola, even at five years old, is something that you are, you know, you have an impression of. You yeah. know what it's supposed to look like. You know what, how, how it's supposed to taste. You know how the can's supposed to feel. So when I get to Canada and the Coke is, like, fatter and wider and these tabs stay on, that was, like, that really kind of weirded me out. <laughs> so it's funny how, like, something kind of so small, like, to me, sticks with me to this day. I remember the first time, so I was, I was born in Canada, but the first time I went to Punjab, where my parents are from, they had Coke in glass bottles. Yeah. So even that was a big thing for me. I was like, what? This, like, such a minor thing, but yeah. as a kid, it has, it lets you know that this is not the same place and mm -hmm. it's not the same. As a yeah. kid, those are the things that you're looking at, right? You're not looking at architecture. You're not looking at, oh, yo, the education system here looks good. Like, mm -hmm. no, you're looking at, yo, the Coke that I drink back there doesn't look like it is here, right? Yeah, it's, those are your it's, comforts. Yeah, it's, yeah. The, it's a young, impressionable mind, right? Yeah. I remember even watching cartoons in Punjab. Like, they were all in, they were all in Hindi. So I was watching, like, Tailspin. Or I was watching like Chippendale Rescue Rangers, but they were all in Hindi. And just like right. those comforts of home that you defer to, mm -hmm. they don't feel the same. Mm -hmm. yeah. It makes you wonder, like, you know, if, if, if maybe either, either of us or any of us have, are in the same position where we might have to make a big move in the future. Like, how do you kind of make sure that that transition for your child is sort of like kind of seamless that, and that's easy? That's something right? that we come across in this podcast quite often, too, is just like, I wonder, like... We always think, like, what if our generation had to do what, like, mm -hmm. for a lot of Punjabis, there was a big a migration to all over the world because of political issues, right? And that's yeah. one thing that we've kind of learned on this podcast, too, talking to different people. These political issues are all over the world, right? And something that we kind of 
try to make very clear is that, yo, people don't choose to leave the comfort of their homes a lot of times. Mm -hmm. It's usually for a greater future for your family, right? Yeah. And that's something that we te we've tend to, or it's been forgotten in the media, the way the media portrays it nowadays, right? But getting back to what I was saying, and like, we always question, could we do this? Could we travel halfway across the world without knowing what the fuck is out there? Learning, and trying learning to start new, a new life with kids with you. And, in a completely different language. Yeah, in a completely yeah. different language and then still be successful and, you know, have a great career. Like, mm -hmm. it's nuts to think about. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I would be scared as fuck to do that. That's no, crazy. I, I, I certainly, and I think it's these things that you don't really have an appreciation for until we start to get to this age. For sure. Um, and, and just to kind of see, like, how much exactly our parents probably had to go through in order to give us what we have right now. Yeah. Um, what did your parents do in Hong Kong? And was that something that they got that same line of work once they got here? Or did they have any issues with that kind mm -hmm. of stuff? Yeah. So, uh, my mom was a teacher in Hong Kong. Um, she taught in various schools, um, uh, including like a school for the blind she spent some time teaching in. And when she came here, uh, she had to basically kind of get a, a bit more like uh, secondary education. Yeah. She had to re-enter herself into an ECE uh, program at Ryerson and um, eventually graduated from there before she was able to kind of find a similar position in Canada. Yeah. My dad was a project manager for a construction company. And uh, was at a relatively high rank, but I think coming here, the system being completely different, he basically had to abandon that career yeah. and had to kind of find something brand new. And so he partnered up with a with a man, uh, and the two of them formed a, a landscaping company, which uh, they ran until he decided to start the business himself, run with the business himself, and he's been doing that ever since. So for my dad, he basically had to kind of start over. Yeah, so in your early years, though, so you're here in Scarborough. What was that experience like for you those first couple of years? Yeah, so I actually started um, at the at the at tail end of kindergarten, senior kindergarten, and uh, I think um, you know English was something I really latched onto quite quickly because yeah. I, I watched a lot of television mm -hmm. and uh, I. I learned a lot of English from like Full House, actually, because <laughs> I always watch Full House. And so um, that coupled with, you know, being in the environment in school every single day, I think I was still in ESL, though, for maybe a good two, maybe one and a half years. But honestly, mm -hmm. it wasn't that long. I remember there was a time where like I immediately like I, I changed from thinking in Cantonese to thinking in English. And yeah. that's kind of when, you know, things started to like I became much more of a, I guess, English um, made me a lot more comfortable with the language. School was actually fine, like nothing really kind of to, to complain about. I was uh, Scarborough, as as like I'm sure you guys know, is is a very much a, a, a there are a lot of Asians in in Scarborough. Mm -hmm. So my school actually like my community really is is largely um, like a Chinese, you know, South Asian type of community. So as far as that goes. Um, I, I didn't really necessarily feel like I was singled out or anything yeah. like that. Maybe what kind of like really got me out of my shell, at least like, you know, made me a bit more of a popular kid in like grade one or two was I was good at drawing. Okay. So like I would always like draw like The Simpsons and like Bart Simpson was like my go-to drawing yeah. and everybody was like started to pay attention to me I became like pretty hot shit and like great because <laughs> of my Bart Simpson drawing well, that was the era of like the Simpson bootlegs when they were everywhere I guess right? so. yeah yeah I guess so <laughs> so yeah yeah I was one of the bootleggers and everybody wanted a copy <laughs> yeah man um so just along the lines of you know arts and cre creativity being within the household um is that something that was like, was there a lot of music in the house? Was there a lot of art or was drawing encouraged in the house for you? Yeah, it, it certainly was. Yeah, I, I would say, like, kind of what's different about maybe my, my, my family and maybe a lot of other Chinese background families is that, like, my parents, or at least my mom, always encouraged um, the arts. My okay. mom's very much, like, in her teaching, she uses a lot of music. Um, she, to this day, like, singing is her passion. Okay. Uh, my brother, my oldest brother, ended up becoming a, a music producer in Hong Kong wow. and my other brother is a photographer um, and he's also a, a very accomplished musician so 
uh, music was always in the family. In fact, I think that's one of the reasons why my mom met my dad was because my dad was looking for advice from my mom on how to like sing better for this singing competition he had entered, which is crazy to believe. That's but sick. yeah, like music has always kind of run in our family and, and was always encouraged. So when it came time to like pick a career and I said, I watch a lot of TV, I guess I'll do this like yeah. for a living. Um, there was no hesitation from my parents at all. They just kind of were like happy for me. That's amazing. Yeah. And that's a really important thing too, is just having, being encouraged to do that, right? Like, yeah. I remember I never really, like music was a thing, but with South Asian parents, it's very like, yo, let's be realistic. Of course, right? yeah. Like, yeah, you can listen to it, but it was never like, you know, like, I was never like, yeah, I'm going to be a rapper and that's going to be my life. Like, I didn't even dare saying that to my parents, <laughs> you know? But it's like, the older you grow, the more I realize I'm like, yo, they were supportive, but they were, you know, they were still being realistic knowing that there's not many people who look like me in in music or in mainstream music. So I can't fault them for that, but they never like told me, no, put that down or no anything like that. They're like, yo, as long as it's in the nature of fun, why not? But it's not always like that in, in our culture, especially, mm -hmm. and I can imagine it's the same oh, for yeah. you. You know, people know you as as being part of post wrestling and live audio wrestling. Before that, um, at what point do you fall in love with professional wrestling? Where does that come into your life? I guess it was very much like uh, not long after I, I I came to Canada, where you know, as I mentioned, like I I I watched a lot of television as a kid, and and so Saturday mornings were always uh, cartoons, Cartoon. and then at twelve o'clock it was uh, WWE superstars mm -hmm. on uh, Fox, right? Yeah, yeah, and so. I just like, you know, it came after like these superhero cartoons, like X Men at eleven a.m. and then at, like twelve o'clock was like this stuff that looked like real life superheroes. It was colorful. It was like, you know, big muscular dudes like fighting and punching each other. Uh, one of the first things I saw was like the Ultimate Warrior vomiting because Papa Shango, um, I put guess, that had curse on him. put a curse <laughs> yeah. on him. And I was like, what is this? This is weird <laughs> and kind of cool. So I, I just like, it's, you know, if you're a kid, how could you not be interested in, in all that stuff? So I latched onto that. I ended up like, uh, my parents ended up getting one of those black boxes for like, oh, yeah, uh, we have those uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that kind of got me interested in like, you know, I, I, WrestleMania 9 was my first WrestleMania. And, you know, to know that there was a, Canadian who was mm -hmm. you know their top star at the time Brett the Hitman Hart yeah. he had just won the belt and he was just kind of ascending to like that main role like I gravitated right towards it here's a guy who you know is from the same country that I I'm from now yeah. at this point and uh he he's a he's a great wrestler and he's like the the lead star of this like American company yeah. so I gravitated right towards it and uh became a big fan of it probably all the way up until I want to say like the end of Brett's run was kind of like when I started to trail off a little. Yeah. Like, um, WrestleMania 12, like when he lost the belt to Sean. Okay. And and then I would just kind of dip back in and out. But my interest was, like, largely in, involved in wrestling just with Brett. And it wasn't necessarily until, like, the year 1998 that I really jumped back in. 98, 99 that I really jumped back in. So I had kind of missed the boom of, like, the Austin era and, and, yeah. and all that stuff. But, um you know, wrestling was always something I, I was interested in. It was something my friends at school were interested in and we'd always talk about. Um, but when I came back in about 98, 99, I came back as sort of like an adolescent, mm -hmm. quote unquote, smart mark fan, you know, realizing that there was a lot more to wrestling than what was on the surface. It was from shows like Live Audio Wrestling, which mm -hmm. I started listening to in 1998. Oh, wow. Okay. Or, or 1999, around that time. Um, that kind of like, you know, showed me that behind the curtain there were all these dramatic things. Of course, that was when the Montreal Screwjob happened. And I would say at that point, my interest in wrestling um, became bigger, but on a different level. Now I was more interested in the creation of it and the production of it and the behind the scenes of it. And from that point on, that that was also when, like, internet kind of news groups were, were big things. Yeah. Um, FTPs where I could download uh, matches from all around the world, like ja great Japanese matches that I would have never had access to before, um, ECW, things like that. 
So I would say all throughout from that point forward, um, I kind of fell in love with wrestling again, but like from a different level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I feel you on the Bret Hart thing. Like yeah. Bret was my dude for yeah, for, for a long time. <laughs> for all of us. Yeah. Right? Like I like the height of my fandom was probably the New Generation era. Mm-hmm, me too. So Bret was my guy at that point, and then. When the Montreal Screwjob happened, I pretty much stopped watching for years. Right. And I didn't get back into it until probably close to WrestleMania 17. You know, my, I guess my interest in wrestling kind of lived and died with Bret Hart for a very long time. It's the same. Yeah. yeah same with me. And, and what, what do you guys think it is like about Bret, Bret like beyond mm-hmm. the fact that maybe he's Canadian, mm-hmm. you know, what, what do you think like he might have kind of spoke to you? I think for me, I mean, he, obviously he was incredible in the ring. Yeah. Um, and I think, just the hitman character. Like, yeah, excellent character. Yeah, you know, he was, he was just an upstanding person. And you wanted to see him succeed because you felt like he made you believe in these things that he believed in at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I think that kind of, I think that's like the nature of pro wrestling. Like, I, I don't know if you watched wrestling with your parents or your family a lot growing up. My dad would always watch, but he mm-hmm. would always like just kind of comment on like, wow, how like, ah, oh, this is way too violent. But like, okay. Yeah. Yeah, no, like with myself uh, and my family, my cousins, my aunts, my uncles, my parents, we would all watch wrestling together. So Same. this is like... My the, grandmother was yeah. like the biggest fan when it came to wrestling. She'd always be watching. Yeah, so like probably the tail end of the 80s into the early 90s. So kind of around that WrestleMania 8, WrestleMania 9 time period, you know, we were very much... So we'd watch wrestling together as a family. And I think it kind of, especially for, you know, people that don't speak the most fluent English, I think wrestling is a really cool thing in the sense that the characters, like you mentioned, they're so big, they're so animated. It's easy to say, okay, that's the, that's the villain, that's the hero. And even if you don't understand what they're saying, it's easy to kind of follow motivations. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I would say, like, for Brett, too, like, I'm trying to think why, like, you know, I gravitated so much towards him and not so much Shawn Michaels or even, like, Hulk Hogan. Mm-hmm. Granted, like, I was not really kind of watching wrestling around the time when Hulk Hogan really had his peak. But, like, to me, something tells me that even if I was, I don't think I would be as big of a fan or he wouldn't have left as big of an impression on me as I think Brett did. Mm-hmm. I think so much of it, like, besides him being Canadian, is, like, he just seems to, like, be really good at his job. Like, you yo, know, hard it's, work. It's hard work. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. There's something about that. The character of, yo, as long as I work hard, I shall succeed mm-hmm. without being the flashy machismo guy that most of the other characters were. Without having to, being, to, to be the biggest or the tallest guy. Yeah. He was yeah. still the excellence of execution. Exactly. Yes. And just a good wrestler. Yeah. Like, on top yep. of everything, right? Like, there's. There's some peop- there's some wrestlers who are better at being their character than they are at wrestling, and they get away with just being a really good character. Mm-hmm. But with him, it was he was a better wrestler than the character. But yo, you fell in love with the character as well, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I think the wrestlers I connected to the most growing up were the ones that had that aura of realism. Yeah. So I never connected as much to the Hogan's and the Warriors, but someone like a Savage. Or a Bret Hart, mm-hmm. you know, they had, they were kind of rooted in reality, even though they're in this larger-than-life cartoon world. And I think, you know, that's one of the reasons why the Hitman character spoke so much to me personally. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for those two, I would say like maybe, maybe the fact that they weren't the biggest guys. Like Hulk Hogan mm-hmm. was always impressive because he was just like a massive man, you know. But I, I feel like people tend to be more relatable when they're closer in size to us. I'm not saying I'm ever yeah, going to be as big no. as Bret Hart, but you know for sure and even just the fact that he had like the heart foundation you know it's like yo the man has his family with him out there kicking ass you know it's like you're rooting for him you're like yeah i wish i would have my family with me too whooping Mm -hmm. ass out here you know so yeah like i feel like obviously the canadian aspect of it like we loved him but you know what he stood for what a canadian was sure it's like yo we're gonna work hard we're not gonna talk shit but yo if you rub us the wrong way we're gonna deal with it right so it's like it was a whoever created that character very well thought of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in your, like your teenage years, was wrestling like a big part of your life still? In my teenage years, um, actually for a long time it wasn't. Yeah, yeah, like I'd kind of fallen out of love with it because to me it was just yeah, I moved on. Yeah. Like it was, I moved on more onto like things like music, um, that were kind of 
you know, a lot more interesting to me at the time. Um, I don't think it was until maybe like, you know, I started watching wrestling again, maybe towards the end of high school. Uh, I think when I started to actually get into university was like, yeah, actually towards the end of high school, I would say maybe like 2002 was when I really, really got into it. And I, at that point I was like doing really dorky things. Like, um, I would tape WWE matches or any type of wrestling that would appear on free TV. Cause by that point we had like our black boxes didn't work anymore. Yeah. So I couldn't, I couldn't watch them. So I would tape any type of like wrestling on TV, be it SmackDown or raw. And then I would make little compilation tapes of like my favorite matches or favorite moments by hooking two VC VCRs up together. Wow. And like, like it was the dorkiest shit. I don't even know why I did it, but that's how much I loved wrestling at that time was like, Oh wow, this move was really cool. I'm going to like record it from here onto this one. This was of course before video, like digital, like editing became as popular as it was. So I was doing things like that. My friend and I, like, uh, we started like, you know, I don't want to call it a backyard wrestling federation because, like, when you think of like backyard wrestling, you're thinking of hardcore. I, we I were, was in a backyard wrestling, of course, right? Growing up, I'm not gonna lie. But like, but you know what it was? It was a trampoline background. Wrestling well, at least party. you had a trampoline. Like my <laughs> friends and I, we would find like these dirty, old ass, probably bed bug ridden mattresses, yeah. like on the side of like people's houses, and we would carry those things all the way to like my I house. So, you know, it's so funny you yeah. say that because I did that one time. Me and my buddy who lived down the street, shout out Ryan Elliott, we. <laughs> We were waiting for the bus one morning and saw like a fresh mattress out for the garbage. Quote unquote fresh. Yeah. Like, well, yeah. God knows what was on that thing. Yeah. But we literally, he's like, yo, we got like five minutes till the bus comes. Let's run this back to my backyard (laughs) and, yo, we'll deal with it after school. True story. But yeah. No, it wasn't like, I get what you're saying though. It wasn't like that hardcore, like, no, when, like, were back, no... backyard wrestling became, like, a thing, we weren't that hardcore, but it was, like, our little federation. It right? was not, like, American, like, whatever. <laughs> yeah, like, like we had no, like... friend on thumbtacks no. and shit like that. Thank goodness, like, we are, no, none of our households, like, had fluorescent tubes or, like, <laughs> like barbed wire hanging around. Because, like, yeah. I don't know what we would have done then, but, Did like... Did you guys have fresh characters, or were you just taking on wrestling? No, we... Characters? I mean, largely, it was just, like, people kind of coming up with their own stupid uh, ideas and... Uh, you know who I was? I was D'Lo Brown. In our oh, you were playing other people. You were playing actual WWE guys. I was D'Lo guys. Brown, yeah. man. It was, it was terrible. So, like, my, my part of the, the whole thing was, like, I was, like, kind of the, the booker. and <laughs> <laughs> So my friend and I, we sit down and, like, we'd write these stupid storylines. Because of our WWE influence, like, we'd write backstage skits and things yeah. like that. And we'd get our friends to, like, act and film it out. So, but, you know, like, all that said, though, that kind of, like, increased my interest in television production. Yeah. It was like, you know, going out there and shooting these little stupid backstage segments with 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 uh with my friends for the these wrestling projects that like made made me realize like, oh, like I actually kind of really like doing all this stuff. And yeah, that you're just you you just want to emulate what you're seeing, but you're not thinking that you're just you're literally learning production. Yeah. Right? Because you're not thinking of that. You're like, how can I just do that? Mm-hmm. You're not thinking of the technical aspects. You're just like, I have to figure that out. Mm-hmm. It goes back to that even the VS, uh, VCR creating the highlight reel or whatever. Yeah. Like, that's nuts to think about. Right? But it's like, you had such a, you sh- had such a passion for it that you just figured it out. Yeah. And that's what a lot of people need to realize. It's like when you're young, you need to just gravitate towards what you naturally like and you'll come out with greater skills somehow. Two questions for you guys. Um, So, Guggen, when you were D-Lo, did you have the vest? Yo, no. no. (laughs) You know what? It was so funny because starting-wise, I didn't. And I I remember, I'm like, I can't be D-Lo Brown without the fucking (laughs) vest. Like, you know? And low-key, I feel like I was just D'Lo Brown because I was brown. And I'm like, you know, so it might have been semi-racist at the time, but whatever. I played the part. Wrestling was semi-racist. But, yo, I do remember by the end of it, you know, I did have a vest. And guess what it was? It was... You know the uh, in baseball the back catcher has that fucking oh, chest yeah, yeah. thing. So I had that by the end. So wow. you know it, it, the federation moved up a little. Oh, that's perfect. <laughs> what was the name of your? I'd say yeah. I don't remember any of that. Okay. Like I know that we didn't just like we had WW. We just replicated 
WWF characters, but I knew that we had some name for a federation, but I can't recall what it was. He probably knows what it is. <laughs> really doesn't want to ruin his credibility yeah. right now. And then, yeah, Wei, when you were the booker, um, <laughs> what? sounds so weird to hear. <laughs> how how wild were you with the pencil? Were you talking about like Vince Russo style, or were we talking about Cornette? What what, oh, what did your style? What was your style more like? I don't know if I really had a specific inspiration at the time, but it was like we were doing stupid things, like you know, like we had these two brothers, like the Cam brothers, Mike and Matt Cam. <laughs> they were like, they were like your Hardy Boys of our okay. federation. And we did stupid shit, like, you know, they would wrestle the entire match, and then, like, um, <laughs> Mike was, like, reaching for the hot tag in the corner, because, like, he's just, like, been beaten down this entire time. Yeah. And then Matt would be, like, reaching, reaching out, at the last second, he would give him a finger. <laughs> <laughs> he would turn on his brother. It was just, like, stuff that was, like, s- stupid as hell on paper that made us laugh yeah. and made us laugh even more when we got our friends to actually do it. Yeah. So it was, like, it was corny stuff like that. We had, like, a guy come out, like, to replicate Taker's biker entrance, but on a bicycle. Like, <laughs> it was, like, stuff like that. So you talked a bit about, you know, getting more involved in television production and wanting to explore that a bit more i guess post-secondary getting to that age now what did you decide to pursue to towards that end i think like a lot of young people you know it it, it comes time around like 17 or 16 where you have to like come up with what you want to do for the rest of your life and obviously you know by the time like it's that decision isn't as big as it should be but at the time it feels like it is and you know for i don't know how how it is for your parents but there was always the expectation from my my parents that i would go to some type of university for for my education so i'm looking at my course book at like you know what what do i want to do for the rest of my life Mm -hmm. do i want to be an accountant do i want to be like you know such and such electrician blah 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 the only thing that stood up to me in that like um ontario university book was Radio and Television Arts at Ryerson. Uh, it was a really tough program to get into, but I mean, you know, I knew I had a passion for it. Um, the only, the toughest thing I would say for me was that um, I had to get my English mark up really high because that was one of the prerequisites. Um, I think my parents had always assumed that I would like, you know, I should do well in math. Math is my key, like because she, my mom always said like. Because something like an English essay is so subjective, you're never necessarily going to, um, or maybe she just didn't like have confidence in, in my ability to like, I don't know, write or, or do well enough, I suppose. Um, so she always thought like math was my key because math, if you know it, it's irrefutable. Yeah, it depend on who's grading. Yeah, it, it's universal. Math. But I sucked at math. Like I was like, I guess I was like, really good at when I really tried really hard at it but then I just like it just wasn't my thing it was boring English wasn't really my thing either it was boring it too like at least like you know like traditional English class but that year I, re- I really worked hard at it knowing like what my end goal was was to get into that specific program at Ryerson I worked really hard for like actually a couple of years trying to get my marks up and uh, I did re- I did well like I did well enough uh, in those classes and eventually got into the program um they, you know, like it was a program that required a, a, interviews and whatnot. And um, I got in. It was like, it, like to me, like one of the first big accomplishments of my life. So um, got in there. And then, uh, yeah, like four years. That's where kind of I met a lot of very like-minded people. Because, you know, growing up in, in my, my high school, like I went to school with a lot of like Asians who were either, you know, whose paths were accounting or business or uh, uh, life science at, at U of T or mm-hmm. things like that. Not many people who were as interested in, you know, the arts or, or creative uh, ventures as somebody like myself. So going to Ryerson and being in a program with a bunch of other like-minded people who were into like mu- the, like similar music that I was into, into similar like movies that, uh, that I was into uh, was was somewhat different. Upon completing the program at Ryerson, what was your first job in the field with yeah, broadcasting? Yeah, I mean, that kind of goes back to, to what you were just talking about, where, you know, in, in school, um, I uh, eventually, I took a bunch of, like, volunteering jobs just because, like, just to boost up my resume and just to gain experience. And eventually, um, towards the end of my third year, uh, there was a call out for interns at this place that was just starting up called the Fight Network. Okay. And what that was was just a brand new television cable station. 
um, that was dedicated to combat sports. I remember the fight network. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so I was, you know, watching a lot more wrestling back at the time, but I was also actually more into MMA at the time because that's when the Ultimate Fighter kind of yeah. started. Like for somebody like me who was kind of getting sick of like the cartoonish aspects of the professional wrestling, MMA fulfilled a lot of what I was looking for in professional wrestling, yeah. but um, with a lot more realism and 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 less kind of like we were talking about a time where with like Katie Vick and like you know like some of the, like a really bad stuff that the WWE was producing. Yeah. So um, I got into all that stuff, but I was well versed still in professional wrestling and MMA, so I knew that this was a place I wanted to work at. At the same time. In my program was a man named John Pollock, who I had always heard his name of uh, on the law. So when one day in school, like, I overheard a fellow classmate talk about the law, I'm like, wow, how odd. Like, this was, like, such a niche thing that only I thought I was into. So I'm like, hey, are you, like, talking about the law? And he's like, yeah, uh, I'm John Pollock. I do all their updates and everything. I'm like, wow, I heard your name on the radio. Holy yeah. shit, you're the John Pollock. <laughs> I can't believe it. So John actually happened to be uh, one of the first employees of the Fight Network. And so I guess like uh, maybe like he's, he got my resume or something when they were calling out for interns and passed it along. And I got in that way and I became one of the first crop of interns at the Fight Network. And from that relationship, um, I became a call screener for the law when John was moving up to a producer's role. So um, that turned into uh, my first full-time job in the industry, and I was there for 13 years. Wow. You know, that's where I really kind of um, developed my, my, my abilities and skills as a uh, editor, as a videographer, um, and as a producer, and as a podcaster, which, you know, my, my relationship with John professionally kind of blossomed from there. We started just like he pulled me into a podcast booth at one time just to trick me into like recording a show like very much like this he's like hey way like because we were working at the radio show where like mics were around all the time so john's just like wait you want to just come in here i just want to talk to you about something so yeah how was your weekend like tell me like like just like how you started the show and that turned into like our first podcast together called uh ask away that was way back when it wasn't even wrestling focused it was just like he just like was just kind of talking to me about random things it wasn't until i felt like if we were going to do this consistently and attaching it to the live audio wrestling podcast feed as a bonus for the law that i felt like it should be wrestling related so we decided on reviewing at least one wrestling item every single week and that's what became review away Instead of ask away, it was so stupid. <laughs> and then from that point on, like you know, we grew into like you know doing uh, uh, raw podcasts uh, at that time, impact podcasts. But you know, here we are. Uh, was it easy to work with him at the beginning, or did you kind of kind of have to develop that chemistry? I would say it's it's all bit, always been relatively easy. Like I think he, I think he is like the most talented like broadcaster journalists that uh, I, I know. And I think anybody can get a, a good podcast with him. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, but we were doing those shows even before podcasts were even a thing. Yeah. Like we were just, the way we've always treated it, or at least in my mind, is that we're just friends hanging out, talking about something mm-hmm. without even, even, you know, that much acknowledgement of like anybody listening to us. And I think that's when podcasting is the best. Of course. That's when broadcasting is the best. You know, when you don't feel like you have, you're trying to cater to anybody else. And, um, you know, thankfully other people felt the same way. Um, so people always talk about like our, our chemistry and I don't really think about it all that much. Cause it's just like, we're friends. Like, don't all friends yeah. have chemistry like that? <laughs> right? No, definitely. In 2017, you and John created Post Wrestling together. Mm-hmm. Um, but before that, you were working, as you mentioned, with Live Audio Wrestling, with the Fight Network. Uh, can you explain a little bit about that transition from you know working with a bigger organization to now creating your own business? Absolutely, yeah. So we were both at the Fight Network for a long, long time. Uh, I I thought it was like a wonderful experience. I got the I was sent to like so many parts of the world um, as a videographer. 
I, I went to like places as far as Abu Dhabi. I went to Yokohama in Japan to cover K1, uh, numerous UFCs and WrestleMania. So, and overall, it was just a job I, I really enjoyed. Um, but financially, it was tough. Like mm-hmm. TV is a tough industry, especially in Canadian TV. And especially when you're talking about a niche like a, ca- uh, a cable combat sports channel. So uh, for whatever reason, uh, cutbacks had to occur at the Fight Network. And John and I were let go. Uh, I want to say, what is it? Halloween uh, or, or October 30th, um, 2017. Um, and so John and I that day, I mean, I guess I can kind of talk about some of this now is that like when we were both let go, John, I knew was let go first because like he went to the office earlier that day. I was called in to go to the office and I was like, John, what's up? Like what's I'm being called in to, to like on a, at an odd time. And then John told me that he was let go. So my main concern at that point was not whether or not I was let go, but whether or not, well, was whether or not they would let me go. Mm-hmm. Cause I think if John was gone and I was still there, then I would feel like I was in trouble. Right. Cause that means I would no longer be able to work with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would no longer be able to continue like kind of our, our podcasting relationship with the two of us separate. When I went into my office and they told me that I was also let go, I was like ecstatic. Okay. Like I yeah. was happy. Yeah. Like truth be told, John and I, we were already having these, these discussions of moving on on our own, like months and months ahead, mm-hmm. like to the point where we actually set an end date of when we would quit. Okay. If you know things didn't really change around for us, like we just we weren't getting raises. Like it it had been years since I I had seen a raise, and um, we both just kind of saw the writing on the wall because like we were a part of another there were there was another set of cutbacks like just in March that year so you know like I said I still enjoyed the job but I obviously saw a ceiling there and we both did so we had kind of both planned to if things weren't weren't happening by by I want to say like maybe January or March of the next year we would move on thankfully they made the decision for us and so we knew immediately what our next step was that day mm-hmm. like we met and we we're like all right like we're gonna start our own thing that yeah. that was it um, maybe it wasn't quite that simple, but we knew that like we had built this like incredible relationship with our audience that we didn't really want to just like throw away. So our first move that day, it was a Monday when we were let go. So we got to do a review of raw. Mm-hmm. We don't really have a place to host it anymore. So like we looked up on the internet and found a place called archive.org, okay. which is just like a Wikipedia basically type of thing, uh, community commons, uh, and it's just web space. It's server space. So we record as usual and we upload it to that thing. And it was just like this incredibly like grassroots guerrilla thing that like our audience immediately just like gravitated towards. We had so many like great helpful people. This guy named Robert Brocky, who's like at this point our webmaster, but he created this 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 aggregate feed for us that allows people to like t- whatever. I'm kind of getting into some of the technical trenches of it, but it was. Um, we did like shows for free for nothing for like I want to say, from all the way from the end of October to when we launched post wrestling. So all the meanwhile, as we're doing these kind of Raw and SmackDown reviews, um, just like to keep up with it. In the background, we were building post wrestling. Mm-hmm. Um, I was learning things on the fly, like how to, you know, uh, make a website, how to how to build, uh, you know, RSS feeds and things like that. Things I certainly took for granted working as part of a company. Um, but we launched on December 24th or 25th, 24th, I want to say on, uh, 2017. And at the same time we launched, uh, our Patreon, uh, Patreon was something that I think we had always heard about. Um, and we got a lot of advice from, particularly from, uh, our friend Jay Hunter from OSW review, who, mm-hmm. um, to me, like set us set the template for a professional wrestling Patreon. Um, shopped it, shopped around like all the rewards tiers to our friends, and it was just like something we were trying out without really kind of knowing all that much about it. And uh, remarkably, like that first day, we reached like a thousand patrons like very quickly. Wow. Maybe not on the first day, but like in the first week, I, I want to say like we reached a thousand, and it was just 
I, I still remember that moment. It, it, you can actually see it on video on our YouTube where even that first patron coming in, like, was what meant a lot to me because mm -hmm. it was just like the idea that people would even spend a dollar on something that they would typically get for free. I, I found remarkable and I still do still find remarkable. So I don't take any of that for granted. And yeah, over the past year, it's just been keeping consistent building on our schedules. Um, and also kind of crafting a lot of the behind the scenes, um, things like, you know, um, figuring out how to, properly form a company going through the proper steps with lawyers mm -hmm. you know uh things like insurance which we're still dealing with right now and uh um yeah yeah just kind of still figuring all that out actually yeah because i remember when you know the news had come out that you and john had been let go i remember there being just uh like a sadness on the internet on reddit and on different forums because i guess it's, it's a testament to that relationship that you did create with your audience mm -hmm. and i think that it's amazing that the day that you were let go, you're like, all right, we're just going to keep moving. That very same night, you guys recorded a show. No, like, John and I, I mean, for all of us at The Law, Jay, Dan, like, Braden, like, we all, I think, understand um, maybe the connection that, that, that we, we built through The Law with the audience. And mm -hmm. um, it would be stupid to, to just throw it away simply because, you know, this company decided not to pay us to do it anymore. Right. Like regardless of whether or, not, or whether or not we were getting paid, this was something we love to do. We we don't take for granted that we get to do it. So mm -hmm. we would have probably just done it anyway, even if the Patreon wasn't a, a success. Yeah, was there any uncertainty you know, going from a place like the Fight Network to now there is no safety net? You know, you don't have this company backing you now. It's just all on YouTube. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, interesting you kind of put it that way, because like you can kind of look at it the other way as mm -hmm. this actually being more of a safety net than what the fight network was okay. for us because yeah. working for a, an employer you don't know again like when you're going to be let go mm -hmm. you don't know what your um you know what your next raise is if you end up getting one you don't know when you're, if you're going to get a pay cut you don't know any of these things um whereas being on our own i think you know comes with its own challenges as well but i would say for the most part we're in control a lot more of i think mm -hmm. you know if we want to try to make more money, we can think of ways to try to make more money. If we want to, uh, uh, you know, we're just not really subjected to like uh, uh, anybody else's kind of like desires, except for I guess our patrons at this point. Right. But um, I think in in many ways it offers more security, but it's also a lot more work because we're having to take over a lot of the behind the scenes back end work. Mm -hmm. uh, if anything, like having our own platform to do it allowed us to execute many more ideas that we had that we weren't able to do before either because you know for my case I was also a videographer and editor I simply didn't have time nor like I think you know being like the the infrastructure like you know John talks about this all the time where how like even if we wanted to add a new button to, to the website we'd have to make a call over to like our web develop developers who are like in Sweden or something mm -hmm. and then just to get something really simple done. But now like I can make a million buttons right now if I wanted to, <laughs> but like if we have an idea, we can execute it. It might take a bit more time to like for us to figure out how to do it. It might not look as slick as like, you know, if we paid mm -hmm. a professional to do it, but um, we're in control of it. And if ultimately I wanted to pay a professional to, to, to do it for us, we, we at least have the option to do it ourselves. So uh, in that sense, it's 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 been very good. And with a business like professional wrestling, which, again, there is no off-season, yeah. there's a continuous news cycle, is it difficult to kind of detach and, you know, take off your work hat? Absolutely. To me, that's been, like, my biggest challenge, like, mm -hmm. this past year. I'm, I imagine it's way more for John, but he's a different animal. He's a different beast. But I'm somebody who, like, really – I really did – like enjoy going to work and then leaving work and not really having to think about yeah. it. Right. When you're doing a nine to five or when you're working for another company, that's, that's part of the, you know, the thing like mm -hmm. you go in there you get to separate the two, right? you work your, your however many hours you come home and you have a paycheck at the end of two weeks or whatever. 
but now like my job st- sticks with me like 24 7 and again it's for better or worse you know mm-hmm. i don't have to wake up in the morning to like try to like catch the uh, uh to to sit in traffic to yeah. to get to work i'm so grateful for that because i'm i'm not a morning person whatsoever but at the same time like i I have to work very, very late into the evening in, mm-hmm. in, in order to do my work. I work from bed sometimes, right as I'm getting up because I'm on my phone and I have to answer, uh, you know, emails or, or, or complaints or anything like that. Uh, it's a give and take. And I think it's about like being an adult, an adult and trying to figure out a routine that works for you where you can maintain, uh, you know, an active uh, personal life and an, and an active professional life. It's a gift and a curse kind of in that Certainly. sense. Certainly. Yeah. Definitely. It's, I, I'm not even go- going to say necessarily one is better than the other. I think, mm-hmm. I certainly think they're like for a lot of people, they're wonderful advantages to working, being an employee. And obviously there are a lot of advantages to owning your own business as well, but one is not necessarily better than the other. You know, for any advantage one gets, you have a disadvantage somewhere else. We're just going to nerd out a little bit, do some wrestling yeah, talk if, if, if that's cool. Sure. Um, what are your, so some of your favorite Bret Hart matches? Oh yeah. Like, this this one's an odd one, and I always kind of bring it up for whatever reason. But um, I might even get the the show wrong. But one of my favorites, I'm actually gonna look it up because I, I people <laughs> are gonna fact check the shit out of me. But it was Bret Hart versus Kevin Nash. I believe it was uh, Survivor Series '95. Was yeah. it Survivor Series? It was. Yeah. Yeah, and this was like a match where like. Kevin Nash, like, you know, hardly, like, maybe Brett's best opponent, but Mm -hmm. I think what really got me about it was that I did not expect Brett to win that one at all. Yeah. Um, It was, like, a time when, like, you know, Nash had been champion for, like, a year, Mm -hmm. and um, I think the expectation was that he was just going to go on to win. Uh, Brett really wasn't being focused on at the time, and, uh, you know, I didn't expect him to win, even as a a young, you know, 10-year-old fan, so... I think um, when he just won that match, I exploded as a yeah. child. And that, those, a moment like that, you know, that was a time where I didn't really care so much about match quality. I wasn't looking for five-star matches or anything like that. I just simply wanted to know whether or not my favorite guy won. Yeah. And it was just a very pure moment of, of like, marking out that I, I still really recall mm-hmm. to this day. So that's a great match. His His match with Bob Backlund was one that, like, Again, I don't think it gets that much respect because it wasn't so much of a match per se, but it was a wonderful drama portrayed by everything outside of the ring. Especially Owen's involvement in that match. It was Owen and it was Martha who was the MVP of that match. So, like, Brett spent most of that match just in in the chicken wing, but it was incredibly dramatic. Obviously, you know, Brett versus Austin, both of them... um, Brett versus Sean was like okay, but I'll never like go back to rewatch it just because it's like way too big of an investment. Mm-hmm. And it was a Shawn Michaels match anyway, like it was or it was crafted for Sean. Yeah. So, I mean, those are the ones that kind of stand out. I think one that just you know having that joy around your guy winning the mm-hmm. moment like that for me with Brett was probably the final four uh, um, against Austin. Uh, Vader and Undertaker. Okay, yeah, that and, was uh, kind of like those. Those that stuff was kind of like in my blind spot. Oh, okay, but yeah, yeah. So that that match because he had got screwed at the Rumble, ninety seven because Austin dumped him out. So I remember watching that show and just like just having that joy because my guy won. Mm-hmm. Everything was right with the world for that moment. Yeah, um, uh, yeah. So I think that was like kind of an underrated match. Doesn't really get talked to a lot. Of, a whole lot as much as like the Austin I don't even know if I've seen it so I'll have to go back what are some other wrestlers other than um, other than Brett that really resonated with you whether you were younger or whether in your latter years I remember like Razor Ramon being like really popular in school everybody everybody was doing like Razor Ramon impressions (laughs) he was just cool yeah Yeah. bro I still can't put a toothpick in my mouth without impersonating him (laughs) it doesn't matter where I am I have to do it I have to flick it at somebody well like some yeah Mr. Perfect with the gum it's the same thing (laughs) yeah still do that some of those characters are so like like they last for so long and it's just like the stupidest things like 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 you know the toothpick and whatnot yeah uh as i got older you know it would be i think um you know uh my my tastes like skewed a little bit towards japan i was a big fan of like um you know jushin liger okay yeah um i really loved um a lot of Mishinoku Pro. Uh, mm-hmm. This was like um, a great Sazuke's promotion yeah. uh, out in Japan. They had a bunch of 
awesome, awesome, like, multi-man matches involving Kai and Tai, who, you know, North American fans just know as sort of, like, the kung fu, like... Uh, just comedy characters. Comedy characters. Yeah. But in Japan, they were amazing. They were, yeah. like, a six-person, five-person group, Kai and Tai DX, consisting of just incredible workers and having these amazing, amazing matches that I actually wish somebody would request for a re rewind away so I can go back and rewatch and talk about. But yeah. it'd been a while, it's been a while since I've seen a lot of those, but those are some of my favorite matches. Obviously, you know, Eddie Guerrero mm -hmm. is like a lot of people's favorites, yeah. especially like of, of this modern generation of wrestlers that we, we, we see today. Um, yeah, maybe those are kind of like some of the standouts for me. We were talking a little bit off air. You mentioned that you play in a band. Yeah. 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 So how, how, kind of how did that come together? Um, Honestly, it was um, my friend, Elliot, uh, you know, who I also met in school, uh, in the same school I went to with John at Ryerson. We we were all just always friends. And then at, at some point, he started to pick up the drums, and he started to do it rather seriously. I had always played guitar, like, coming out of high school. It was just always some something my friends and I did. And it was some of the most fun uh, that I have ever had was just like playing music with my friends. So he just asked asked me, "Hey man, like, do you want to try to start a band?" I'm like, "Sure." And when we say a band, like, it's a silly label because like we're not we don't rec record, we don't play shows, we just get together and we play music. That's mm -hmm. really what it is. And I think at this point, it's kind of largely existed as an excuse for us to hang out. We always in the back of our our heads talk like you know talk about. Oh yeah, no, this would be great. This would be great for the album someday. With meanwhile, with like no real intention at yeah. all. Like we've been playing together for like a good five years. Probably wrote like actual like five or six songs in those five years. So it's not yeah. something I take probably nearly as as seriously as either one of you guys. For me, this is my hobby. Mm -hmm. To me, like music for me is like kind of my, my escape. You talk about wrestling not really being that anymore. Um, yeah, wrestling often like does feel like a job for me, mm -hmm. but um, when I want to get away from it, that's where I just like I hang out with him. We just play music and we just like shoot the shit. Yeah, yeah. I think like definitely. I think as we've gotten older, I think when we were younger, when we were starting to do music, it was more so. Okay, we got to get on this show and we got to get on this show. We got to try to meet the right people. There's a lot more pressure that you're mm -hmm. putting on yourself because you're trying to get on, you're trying to get out there. But I remember one time we did a show in Burlington. You remember at um, Sound of Music Festival? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so we're playing like this little bar out in Burlington. We walk in the venue. Nothing is set up. No one has any idea what the hell's going on. <laughs> um, so finally, the sound guy shows up. Again, he doesn't know what he's doing. So essentially, our gig was we were performing for ourselves. We were essentially doing a glorified sound check for ourselves. But we had so much fun doing it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the, the cool thing about whether it's music or whether it's, you know, getting together to do a podcast or just anything where you're working closely with a friend mm -hmm. is just the act of getting together in itself can be rewarding. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right. So we kind of have this, uh, this segment. I know we've had a lovely conversation up until this point. We don't want to hold you too long because we thank you to, for coming to Brampton. Um, but we have this little segment that we like to do at the end of each one of our podcasts. And it's just uh, we like to each one of us we'll just share something that we're thankful for. So it could be an individual, it could be anything really. Something that you are thankful in your life at this point or any point in your life. It's We keep it very open and just whatever inspires you at the moment. All right, so um, Noise, you got anything for this week? Um, I think, yeah, we can start with, uh, we can start with Way or unless you want a couple minutes to think about it. Um, sure, yeah, why don't you, why don't you start us off? Okay, I got that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was what, trying to uh, defer. What, what the tone? No, a lot of this is a lot of people like yeah. It's, it's a it's a very simple yet intricate question because <laughs> yeah, you're like yeah. I have to think about this for a fucking second, right? Yeah. Like even I get so lost in hearing other people. I like, like I, it though. I like yeah. how positive you guys you guys are with with something like it's this. It's a it's a good reminder yeah. always. And that yeah, whenever I listen back to them, I'm like yo. I'll, it's, it's I'll, a I'll good. start. I'll start. Okay. You know, we're talking a bit earlier about like kind of like you know. um how uh, maybe like some of our parents have like you know sacrificed a lot in order for us to to have these freedoms in order to to be able to devote our time into our our creative mm -hmm. passion. So I'm very thankful for my parents doing that, and uh, maybe you know by extension their parents before them for giving them the opportunity to con constantly move up the chain to the point where I can 
get to be be in this country to have the freedom to devote to talking about professional wrestling how wild is that right (laughs) you guys get to do hip-hop for a living like so yeah i gotta thank my i guess family tree how about that Mm -hmm. it's a good answer that's dope that's beautiful it's called noise throwing you on the spot (laughs) because i'm Um, still thinking (laughs) yeah no um i'm i'm thankful for i'm thankful for for pets as weird as that sounds, yeah, I like it. I like it. <laughs> as simple as it is, because um, every time so we record at Magic's house, every time we come here, your dog, Izzy, yeah. is just always running up, and she's just very playful and super cute, and yeah, she just puts you in a better mood. Um, and even, um, so in 2018, we got my father-in-law, we got him a dog. Uh, because you know he's he's got he's had some some health issues in life, so he's at work. Uh, so he's at home, so he's not able to work. Um, so you know there is a lot of solitude and isolation and loneliness with that. So we got him a dog, and you know the dog has really kind of invigorated him and you know made him want to get up more and get out of the house more. So it's really been beautiful to see how he's built this relationship with this dog. And yeah, you know, there's always activity within the home now, yeah. and he's definitely in a, a much better mood. And he's this dog was able to kind of take him out of a darker place into uh, a happier place and a place where he has more purpose. And every day he gets out of bed knowing that there's something for him to do. For sure. So it's not really him taking care of the dog, or it's as much the dog taking care of him. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. But yeah, I like that one. You're making me want to. Wade's just gonna grab a dog on the way home. All right, so let's think about this. For me, I'm thankful for just. I'm thankful for. I want to say wrestling and music because those were both big topics today. I I remember there was a time when I first moved to Canada, and it, it was a rough transition. Age ten, it wasn't as hard as it was on my brothers, but I remember when. Ever I felt alone or isolated from the rest of the world, there were things like wrestling and hip-hop that kept me company, right? And even when, you know, life might not be going good and different stages of my life, the consistency has always, well, less wrestling, more so music, the later parts of my life. But it was always something to take my mind off what else is going on right and i feel like especially for a younger me a younger impressionable me was it was the biggest thing in the world it's what kind of gave me any type of confidence at a time when i was probably at the lowest confidence in my life so just having a macho dude on the tv just exuding confidence rubbed off on me having a rapper you know with not, not not coming from the greatest circumstances to having you know diamonds all over himself those those things sparked something within me when i was younger and i feel like it's shaped me into the man that i am today definitely and i wouldn't i wouldn't think that but it plays a huge part in the man i am today which it was funny cuz you said that like tv helped you with english that was the biggest thing for me was yeah. music and cartoons two biggest things where I was, I got thrown into ESL, but I had pretty decent English when I came here too, just off of cartoons and, uh, and music. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like, yo, yes, shout out to all the ESL kids. Yo, <laughs> I was, I was born here and I was put in ESL. So there's definitely some, some weird racial stuff going on there. Um, <laughs> and can we give a, can we give a shout out to some of the rap and wrestling crossovers? Yeah, for sure. Oh, well, okay. Uh, how about, the Rock and Slick Rick, yeah, from the the Pie album. Sure, uh, yeah. Okay, um, this is so <laughs> the Rock and Wyclef too, no? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah I yeah. remember that. Uh, How about um Three Six Mafia's video with ECW uh, <laughs> in the background? Like they, yeah, yeah. they made a video with like all to ECW highlight footage. It was the weirdest thing. Uh, Pastor Troy would just walk around with the WCW <laughs> title. Yeah. Uh, Bret Hart and the Rascals. Rad, oh my that god, that was huge for <laughs> that Canadians. Was, that was kind of hilarious, yeah. just because Bret Hart just seemed very out of place. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like doing I wonder this, how like... much Bret got paid for that. <laughs> you know, he must have been like, "What the fuck is going on?" Yeah, that was strange. Yeah, that's so awesome. Um, there's, there, we could do a whole podcast just on this. <laughs> yeah, can't we? 
uh, Ric Flair and his many iterations. Ric Flair right drip. He's like he's in a Bad Bunny video too. Yeah. I just <laughs> seen him. I'm like, yo, this guy's milking the rap industry right now. Uh, I have a friend Damien um, who does like uh, he's very much on the punk and uh, punk and wrestling connection. He's just like he he's got a punk podcast. He's in a, a punk a punk band, fucked up. And oh, okay. uh, yeah, yeah. he like it's his kind of like mission in life now to kind of ma- raise awareness about the the crossover between punk rock and professional wrestling. And he's make he makes a very strong case. But I think you can argue as strong of a case for for rap and wrestling yeah, as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even now, like the likes of Wale, huge wrestling fan, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> Conway the Machine, oh and, yeah, yeah, uh, Westside Gun, Westside Gun, yeah. So familiar. these guys, yeah, they're they're pretty much like the forefront of yeah, so of the hip hop artists that yeah, love wrestling. Some artists from Buffalo, and they're constantly dropping wrestling references in their tracks. They right. name their titles after wrestlers. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them had a painting of Chris Benoit, Chris Benoit as his album cover, album. which what? was really yeah, weird. It was, it was in very poor taste. <laughs> <laughs> but then again, the previous albums had Osama Bin Laden and fucking sure. Hitler on it. So okay, that makes yeah. sense. In some sense, it was kind of going it's, the right it's way. Art, it's his artistic merit. That makes yeah. total sense. Well, now, what about what about the other way around? We're t- you're talking a lot about rappers that happen yeah. to like be talking about wrestling or whatever, but what about wrestlers that rap? I guess the god of that would be our truth. Oh God. <laughs> or Enzo? Know. No, yeah. no, he was. Yeah, trash. I mean, not yeah. as great. Oh, Cena's album was actually good. Was it? I enjoyed his album. Never heard it. He had like Freddie Fox was on it. Jake One was on it. Who would you guys classify as the best wrestler turned rapper, if you had to? Who's the goat of wrestler mm-hmm. rappers? I don't even know. I, I guess I would say Cena. If we're just looking at <laughs> if we're just looking at as far as you know, R Truth singles, Enzo's albums, Randy Savage albums, John Cena as a product was the best <laughs> album out of all those guys. Have you heard the whole Enzo album? Or is no. there is there a whole Enzo album? There is a whole Enzo album. Yeah. I've heard maybe three songs and I have no desire to check out the rest. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, I guess not really a strong what's the best theme song rap theme rap song. theme song rap theme song yeah i really liked uh three six mafia doing mark henry's theme song oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. that's a good one you know i, I actually i want I, I i keep shouting this guy out but like this dude wrestle and flow that's on on the internet he okay. like takes like like wrestlers theme songs and he like freestyles over him he's no very way. good um yeah anyway Best who rap did Shane O'Max, uh I don't know who the rapper is. <laughs> I have for no it. idea who that rapper is, but I love that theme song. <laughs> but like early Nicki Minaj did uh, Victoria's theme song. You're kidding me. Yeah. No I didn't know way. that. Yeah, I thought that was Tattoo, so after Tattoo. After Tattoo. Wow. Yeah. I had no idea. Um, Lil' Kim, of course, does Trisha's, but she sings on, on, yeah. on that one. Yeah. It's a it's a pretty short list. I think. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we need more uh, rappers who are wrestlers. Clearly, oh, I I know who who I want to shout out, Mo from Men on a Mission. Okay, yeah, <laughs> I think he's. Oh, wait, sorry, Oscar. It was Oscar. I yeah, yeah, up. Oscar, Oscar from Men uh, on a Mission. I guess shout out to Pitbull and Flowrider oh, for performing God. at like fifteen WrestleManias now. They're getting the bag. Yo. We're in the wrong <laughs> line of music. Yeah. Uh, all right. Yeah. Okay. I think we'll that's leave, everything. We'll leave it that. <laughs> this conversation. Yeah. So we'll end oh, it there. No. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we just want to say, Way, thank you so much for coming down here. Um, hopefully, we've increased your knowledge of Brampton just a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know what a, a podcast studio in a Brampton basement looks like now. This it's, is the it's, only it's, one it's you gorgeous. need to see, and you know them all. <laughs> it's great. No, yeah. yeah, definitely. Thank you for coming through and nerding out about hip hop and uh, wrestling with us. This was fun. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and yeah. if you ever put that album together, let us know, man. Okay, we'll do. We'll do. We'll do. <laughs> With that being said, this has been the Immigrant Hustle Podcast. Okay. <laughs>